be able to hear me. Right, this morning um, we're going to continue on the little series that I've been uh, speaking to, which is uh, the book of Ruth. And we'll be looking at Ruth chapter 4 and verses 1 to 12. Now, this has been a bit of a spread out series. I, uh, I don't come up the front and speak very often. Um, and along the way, we've, we've looked at a number of applications. But the central theme of Ruth is the theme of redemption. And this, being a love story, demonstrates to us that redemption was enacted through love. What does the word redemption mean? Well, redemption, simply put, is the action of gaining or regaining possession of something. And this is done through some sort of payment. Uh, redemption can also mean to clear a debt. So to redeem something is to pay for something or to repay a debt. Now, of course, in biblical terms, we come into the fact that Jesus Christ has redeemed people. He's redeemed us by paying for the sins of the world when he died on the cross. Now what we'll see this morning is a picture of Christ's redemption and it is demonstrated by the actions of Boaz. Boaz takes on the responsibility of being the family redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi and his motivation for doing so is love. He is a picture of the redemptive act of Jesus Christ, which was also done in love. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now before we get into today's passage, let's quickly do a bit of background. We first came across Boaz in Ruth chapter 2. We learnt that he was a godly man. And he seems to take a shine, or he seems to take an instant shine to Ruth, doesn't he? Ruth just happened to be working in his harvest field. He looks after Ruth and he takes her under his wing. Then we found out that he was a close relative to Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. And he was also a family redeemer, which was a big deal. It means that he can buy back the land that once belonged to Naomi's family, and that he could also marry Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3, Naomi came up with a cunning plan. She sensed that there was an opportunity for Ruth to find love and marriage with Boaz. So Naomi and Ruth took action. And we read about that peculiar incident that took place at Boaz's threshing floor in the middle of the night. When Boaz fell asleep, Ruth laid at his feet, and he later woke up with a start, and he found this woman laying at his feet. In the following conversation, Ruth essentially proposes that Boaz marries her. And his reply was one of blessing, and it was also one of commitment to do everything that he could to accept her proposal of marriage. Bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. Boaz was going to take care of business. However, there was a serious spanner in the works, wasn't there? 
Boaz revealed that there was another man who was a closer relative to Naomi, and this man was first in line to having the right to redeem Naomi's land and therefore to marry Ruth. After him, Boaz was next in line. And we left chapter 3 with Naomi encouraging Ruth to be patient and to wait. There was nothing more that Ruth could do. And she encouraged him saying, the man won't rest until he has settled things today. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. What did Boaz do? Let's pray and then let's get into Ruth chapter 4. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word can speak directly into our lives. And this morning, Lord, as we look at the events that, that took place centuries ago in this family between Ruth and Boaz and, and Naomi, and Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, you can speak to us through those things. Lord, I pray that you, uh, you lead us by your spirit this morning as we enter into your word and that you quicken things to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Ruth chapter 4. So we're going to read the entire chapter this morning. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and he asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elomelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, Of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. Now in those days it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal and he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders, and to the crowd standing around. You are witnesses that today I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elamelech, Kilian, and Marlon. And with the land I have acquired, acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Marlon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom 
all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give, your, give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbour woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Okay, in verse 1, we see that Boaz sets about to do the right thing. Now, if this was a modern love story, we would probably expect things to go differently than how they did in chapters 3 and 4. If this was a modern romance story, it would go something like this. Ruth would be legally betrothed to marry another man, but her true love is Boaz. And as we all know, true love surpasses everything, doesn't it? It surpasses the stuffy laws of the land. It is greater than the traditional family expectations of who you should marry or who you shouldn't marry. True love overrules a whole range of things. I mean, Boaz and Ruth were destined to be together, weren't they? They should just forget about this other fella and go ahead and do what they want to do. Do what they think is right. Well, no, there are two problems with this sort of outlook on this situation. Firstly, you'd be completely forgetting or ignoring the Hebrew culture in which they lived. And secondly, as we already know, Boaz was an upright and godly man. It would be totally against his nature to bypass a principle that God had imprinted into the very fabric of Israel's society. That is the law of a family redeemer. He just wouldn't do that. You know, some people have a similar approach to God's love and to sin, don't they? God loves us so much that he just overlooks our sin. Well, that's not right either, is it? That's not what scripture teaches us. When we look at scriptures like John 3.16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Yes, God does love us, 
But his love doesn't mean that he overlooks our sin. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The law, that is the Mosaic law, requires a sacrifice to be made for sin. A price has to be paid. Jesus paid that price and in doing so he redeemed us. There's a big difference, isn't there? God doesn't overlook our sin because he loves us. He loved the world so he sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price of our sin. He therefore purchases those that would believe so that they may have life instead of death. Now in a similar way, Boaz set about to redeem Ruth and to marry her in the right way. He wasn't going to overlook the law and circumvent it. The law needed to be fulfilled. So what happens? Well, Boaz heads off to the town gate. And the town gate was the place where legal transactions took place. Now I guess it's a bit like a, um, like a conference room, a legal conference room or a courthouse or something like that. So he goes to the town gate and the family redeemer just happens. So he calls out to this other man, come in over here and sit down, friend, I want to talk to you. He wants to talk business with him. And then what does Boaz do? He calls over ten leaders of the city and he asks them to come over and witness the legal transaction which is just about to take place. Now, um, these ten guys, they weren't just random guys who just happened to be hanging around the gate. They were all mature men who were leaders or elders of the city. You see, for a transaction to be regarded as being legal, you needed ten elders as witnesses. So Boaz was doing everything right. He was making sure that all of his I's were dotted and all of his T's were crossed. He then presents this legal matter to the other family redeemer. Naomi has come back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Eli Melech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. So he starts out by talking about the property. He starts out by talking about the land. Now it's probably at this point that we should probably take a bit of a look at what this family redeemer thing is all about. Now when we look at the family redeemer and it's, a, it's sort of like a law that's put into the, into the um, Israeli uh, society. The first thing that we should make note of is that God is a God of redemption. He always has been. So much so that he instituted the principle of redemption into the Mosaic law and therefore into the Jewish society. And when we look at the family redeemer, we see that he has three main responsibilities. First of all, responsibility to buy back family land that was lost or sold. Secondly, he has a second responsibility. He can buy back a family member who was in slavery. And, and this normally came about because that family member was poor and fell upon hard times. So they sold themselves into the service of someone else. And thirdly, the family redeemer had the responsibility to marry 
the childless widow of a brother. In that way, the brother's name was preserved through the children that the widow bore to the family redeemer. Now, earlier I referred to the purchasing of Naomi's land as a right, and it was, but it was actually more of a responsibility. All three of these duties that a family redeemer could perform were responsibilities. They were expected to fulfil their role as a family redeemer. And in this case, the responsibility in the first instance fell to the family redeemer who was a closer relative of Naomi's. It is also important to note that land in the ancient Hebrew culture held great significance. And there's quite a bit of difference between the land ownership in their situation and our own home ownership uh, practices that we do today. You see, what happened sometime before these events was that the Israelites left their land and they went into Egypt because there was a great famine. Then some generations later, they left Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And then about 40 years after that, under the leadership of Joshua, they entered into their former homeland and they reconquered it. The land was then divided up amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. And then from there, each family of each tribe was allotted a portion of that land. And this allotment of land was meant to be forever. It was meant to be belong to that family for all time. If they fell upon hard times, like Naomi and Elimelech did, and they sold their land, it still essentially belonged to them, and they always had the option to buy it back. That is, they could redeem the land. If they couldn't redeem it back themselves, then the family redeemer had the responsibility of buying back the land. When the family redeemer bought it, it then went back to the family that rightfully owned it. And there was even a provision in the law if there wasn't a family redeemer. Every 50 years in the year of Jubilee, the land automatically returned to the descendants of the family that it was originally allotted to. Now I'm guessing in this situation, the year of Jubilee was too far away. Naomi and Ruth had no way to support themselves without Naomi's land. And they had no means of redeeming the land themselves. Therefore, they had to rely on a family redeemer to redeem the land for them. So at the town gate, Boaz brought up the matter with the rightful family redeemer. And what was his response? All right, I'll redeem it. I will do it. He was doing the right thing. He was fulfilling his responsibility. But that wasn't part of the plan, was it? Boaz was supposed to redeem the land and to marry Ruth. But that was when Boaz makes this man aware of his other responsibility as a family redeemer. He was also required to marry the widow, preserving the name of her deceased husband and his inheritance. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name 
and keep the land in the family. That was pretty clever, wasn't it? It looks like the family redeemer, who was first in line, was mainly interested in acquiring the land for his own property portfolio. Now, before moving on, I want us to acknowledge that the reason why Boaz set up this meeting was because he knew that the law needed to be fulfilled. He could have taken Ruth as his wife on the quiet, but this would have been totally wrong because he knew there was a principle of law that had to be addressed, the right and responsibility to redeem Naomi's land and therefore to marry Ruth belonged to another man. It didn't rightfully belong to him. He couldn't just bypass the law. Now, remember, Boaz represents Jesus' work as our Redeemer. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or to find a loophole around it. He came to fulfil it. Boaz knew that the law had to be fulfilled and that's what he set out to do. So the law needed to be fulfilled. The second point for our study today is that the law in itself cannot save. Now, to illustrate this point, it is helpful for us to see the number one family redeemer as a picture of the law itself. Boaz gives us a picture of Jesus' redemptive work and this other guy, he gives us a picture of the law. What does he say to Boaz when it was revealed that Ruth was part of the deal. He says, then I can't redeem it because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. So he couldn't do it. He makes it clear that while he recognises that it is his responsibility, he cannot fulfil this responsibility himself because he does not want to marry Ruth. If he purchases the land, it will go back to Naomi and her family and the inheritance of that land will end up in the hands of the children that Ruth bears. And he wants no part of that. He's only too happy to pass on the responsibility to Boaz. And that is what he does. Now, reading between the lines, I suspect that unlike this other guy, Boaz wasn't overly interested in the land. It's Captain Obvious here stating that. Anyway, if the law can't save, what is the purpose of the law? What does it do? Well, to find the answer to that, we, we find it in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So the law can't put us right with God. It simply shows us that we are sinful. Now most of you will be familiar with uh, Ray Comfort. He's a uh, New Zealand-born evangelist who now lives and ministers in the United States. And you've probably seen those video clips of him approaching people on the streets and he interviews them about the Ten Commandments. And he asks them 
questions like this. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Well, yes, I have. Well, then you've broken the third commandment means that you've committed blasphemy. Have you ever looked at someone whom you're not married to in lust? Well, yes, hasn't everyone? Well, according to Jesus, even looking at someone that way means that you've broken the law that says you shall not commit adultery. Have you ever stolen anything, even taken something small home from work? Well, yes, then by your own omission, you're a blaspheming, adulterous thief, and that covers just three of the commandments. Ray goes on to ask them, well, then do you think God will let you into heaven? And most people respond, no, I don't suppose he will. You see, what Ray does here is he uses the Ten Commandments, which are representative of the law, to demonstrate to people that even though they may think they're a good person, that stacked up against God's standard, they are found wanting. The law shows us how sinful we are. And as Ray goes on to point out to them, if we are sinful even in a small way, then without the redemptive work of Jesus, we cannot enter heaven. Scripture's pretty clear about this. There's um, passages like Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So any sin will stop us from getting into heaven, but it's not all bad news. There's also good news, and the good news is Jesus. And Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. And again, we look at scriptures like uh, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The point is, is that the law does not have the power to save. Once we have broken the law in any small way, that means we have sinned. The law simply means, or simply shows us, that we are sinful. Now getting back to the family redeemer, what is it that he said to Boaz? He said, you redeem the land, I cannot do it. The law doesn't have the power to save us, so we too need a redeemer to fulfil the law and to pay the price for our sin. Jesus redeems us. He redeems us unto salvation and his one act of redemption continues to pay for all of our sin. So the transaction took place and was confirmed. The deal was sealed. The family redeemer chooses to pass on his right and his responsibility to redeem Naomi and her land and the subsequent responsibility to marry Ruth over to Boaz. And he says to Boaz, you do it. So Boaz, now you remember Boaz replied to Ruth's proposal of marriage, I will do what is necessary. Well, he's fulfilled that commitment, hasn't he? He has gone about to win the right to redeem and to marry Ruth. He has taken on the responsibility of the family redeemer. 
Now, as an outward sign of this legal transaction, before the witnesses who were present, uh, the man took off his sandal and he handed it over to Boaz. And it's a bit like a, a handshake or a signature on a document. The transaction has taken place. Here's an outward sign that it, that it has occurred. And so now the way was clear for Boaz and for Ruth to be married. And here we have another parallel between these events and between Christ. And it's the parallel between Ruth and the church. As you know, the church is also called the Bride of Christ. Now what happens next is that the witnesses congratulate Boaz and they speak a blessing over both Ruth and Boaz. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Now there's a couple of little interesting things in this blessing. Firstly, they were saying, may the Lord make Ruth this Moabitess, this Gentile woman, to be like Rachel and Leah. And who are Rachel and Leah? Well, they were the wives of Jacob. And it was from these two women that the 12 tribes of Israel were born, the entire nation of the Jews. So this was truly a great blessing. May God make you, Ruth, a Gentile woman from a foreign land like the mothers of our own nation. It me a lot of Romans chapter 11, verse 17. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's olive, special olive tree. This blessing of including Ruth as one of God's people is like a foreshadow of what God does for the Gentiles through Christ. Now, secondly, in this, this blessing that the witnesses spoke, there is a reference of the Lord making Ruth's descendants like Perez. Now, who was Perez? Well, he was the son of Tamar and Judah. And when we look at Judah, we know later on in the Bible, it's from the tribe of Judah that the main line of Israel's kings come about. Unknowingly, these witnesses were calling Ruth an ancestor of kings. And this is true. She was the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king, King David, and she was also an ancestor of the universe's greatest king, that is Jesus, the Messiah. Now to summarise, we're going to take a quick overall look at this picture of Boaz being compared to Christ. What are the comparisons that we can see? Well firstly, Boaz was the family redeemer. He sought after and he took on that role and why did he do it? He did it because he loved Ruth. Similar to this, Jesus is our Redeemer because God loved the world 
He sent his son to redeem the world. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life ransom for many. Secondly, Boaz fulfilled the law. Bypassed the law by shortcutting the right legal procedure. He did what was right and he fulfilled the law by paying for Naomi's family land and also by marrying Ruth. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law when he died on the cross, paying the price of our sin. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. I abolish the law of Moses, all the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Thirdly, Boaz redeemed Naomi and Ruth. He redeemed the Jew and the Gentile. And that's similar to Jesus, isn't it? Jesus redeemed all people, both the Jews and the Gentiles. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 to 18. ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And fourthly, we see that Ruth became Boaz's bride. The parallel there is that the church is the bride of Christ. In closing, let's look at a couple of so what's. What's the application that we can take away from here? Well, first of all, we all need a redeemer. If you're not a believer here today, my encouragement to you is to consider this account of Ruth and Boaz and what their actions represent to us. Ruth couldn't redeem herself. She did not have the means to do it. And it's the same for us. God's standard shows us that we are sinful and cannot save ourselves. We need a redeemer to rescue us, to pay the price for our sin and take us out of spiritual death and bring us into abundant spiritual life. And again, you know, the most hammered uh, passage in the, in the Bible, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Now, we who are Christians should remember that Christ's redemptive work doesn't end at the point of salvation. Christ paid the price once and for all 
for all of our sin. When we think back to um, Ray Comfort's questions in regard to our own Christian lives, what would our answers be? Would they essentially be the same sort of answers that other people would give? The work of redemption is still at work in our lives. Praise God that he has redeemed us and that he continues to do so. The second application is that the law can redeem us. Another thought to ponder is that the law can't save us, it can only point out how sinful we are. Doing our best doesn't cut it when it comes to salvation, and that is why we need a redeemer. But sometimes what we find ourselves doing is that we find ourselves still living as if we are under the law. We are still trying to obtain God's favour through what we do. And we become all sort of legalistic about things. Sometimes we should look at the motivation behind our actions. Are we living as if we are redeemed children of God? Or as if we are still living under the law? Let's finish with Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. But when the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for everything that you've done for us. Lord, we just thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only son to come and stand in the gap for us, Lord. We in ourselves can't save ourselves, and Lord, we know that we have sin in our own lives which separate us from you. But Lord, we just thank you for what you have done through Christ. We pray that, Lord, as we... Um, go about our lives, Lord, that we live as those lives that are worthy of what you have done, that we live lives that aren't trying to obtain your favour, but lives that show that we are your sons and daughters in you, Lord. May we be a witness to those around us, and may we, not just through our actions and through what we do, but may we also speak this good news that we've spoken about this morning. Lord, we just pray for everybody here this morning and where they're at. Lord, I just pray that you've spoken to them and quickened things unto us. In Jesus' name, amen.